Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled, Unlikely Heroes. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. In 1906, American naval architect uh, Lewis Nixon invented an underwater listening device to help cargo ships detect icebergs. Initially, this new technology was called passive sonar because it was only able to listen to sounds generated by the target. However, as the technology uh, was further developed, it became known as active sonar. Sonar is an acronym that stands for sound, navigation, and ranging. Active sonar works by emitting pulses of sound underwater as pings that reflect off of a target and return to the sending ship. By the time World War II came around, the listening, this listening technology uh, was installed on the U.S. Navy's fleet of submarines. And since light is unable to penetrate very deep into the ocean, water, submarines cannot use light to see also, they want to stay invisible from the enemy, and so uh, sonar was installed on U.S. Navy submarines, and it allows them to travel without being seen underwater, and it helps them to avoid detection by enemies. Sonar is vital for the life and protection of a submarine. If our president was to order a nuclear strike on an enemy country, launch codes would be transmitted to the submarine sitting just off the coast of the enemy nation. It would be verified by a code book, and then missiles would be launched without knowing what was going on above the surface back home. Sailors on U.S. Navy submarines execute their missions by faith because they have to listen without seeing and they have to obey without having all the information. The Christian life is very similar. It requires faith because the Christ follower must listen without seeing and obey without having all the information. Today I'd like to introduce you to somebody that models that for us. We're continuing our series called Unlikely Heroes in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to uh, that chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers can bring you one. We have several Bibles we can loan you. Our theme verse for this series is Hebrews 11.6. It captures what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey to us about faith. It is very, very important. Let's read the verse out loud together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now you might remember the author of Hebrews was writing to a group of Christ followers who had been saved out of Judaism. These young believers were experiencing intense persecution that was causing them to uh, consider throwing in the towel on their faith in Christ, or giving up. 
In order to encourage them to press on in the faith, the author uh, recounts the accomplishments of several Old Testament heroes in an attempt to encourage them. And these particular heroes that he lists in Hebrews chapter 11, well, they trusted the Lord against all odds in very difficult circumstances. This is why Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. One of the hardest times, and I'm sure you probably have experienced this yourself, uh, I have too, one of the hardest times to follow the Lord in obedience is when we can't see what he's doing and we don't know where we're going. Thus, our big idea for today is this. Living faith enables us to obey when we cannot see. Living faith enables us to obey when we cannot see. One of the many questions that the letter's audience, I think, was asking the author of Hebrews is this. How can we keep walking with the Lord when we can't see what he's doing and we don't know where we're going? And of course, as you heard me mention earlier, they were enduring intense persecution. They were seeing their friends and loved ones walk away from the faith because of it. Well, I think the author of Hebrews answers this difficult question here in chapter 11 with a simple answer. And that is, we need to reflect on past heroes of the faith because they can help us exercise present faith. Reflecting on past faith heroes can help us exercise present faith. We are not the first who will have to obey the Lord when we cannot see, and we certainly won't be the last. And so the author takes us on our guided tour through the hall of faith with its vaulted ceilings and marble pillars, and he takes us down to the next statue in the hallway, and he says, let's talk about Abraham. If you're wondering how you can keep walking with the Lord when you cannot see and you don't know where you're going, consider Abraham. And so with that, if you would look at Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to go to, excuse me, get ahead of myself here, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Uh, I want you to notice, I have it underlined in my Bible, you might want to underline it in yours, verse 8. It is a very important verse, in fact, it's been a theme verse for our family for uh, most of our ministry years. It says, he went out not knowing where he was going. The author of Hebrews uses a, uh, what New Testament Greek scholars call the present middle indicative for the verb 
went out. You might want to underline it in your Bible. I'll tell you what it means in more detail here in a second, but uh, went out is a, it's a Greek word, and it's in a particular tense and voice that means, it means basically this, the time between God's call and Abraham's departure was so short that it appeared as though both were happening at the same time. There was such a small gap of lag time, in fact, there's hardly any, that, in other words, he was already obeying as he was being called. Now, in addition, the indicative mood, according to Greek scholars, means that he went out without any contingency or conditions on his going. So he didn't say, well, I'll go, Lord, once you do this or do that or show me this or show me that. He just went. Because all that mattered to Abraham was who was calling. Like a fireman, a soldier, or a doctor on call, who drops whatever they're doing as soon as they hear the alarm go off, Abraham dropped what he was doing the second he heard God's God's voice and he started packing. Now Abraham is in the hall of faith twice, making him one of the hall's elite members along with Moses. After Jesus, Abraham is easily one of the top five most important people in the entire Bible mostly because of how God used him. In fact, aside from Moses, no other Old Testament character is mentioned more in the Old Testament than Abraham is. His significance cannot be overstated. This is because Abraham is the first piece in the Lord's long-range plan to offer redemption to repentant sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the founder of the Hebrew faith, And Abraham is the foundation upon which God built the Christian faith. For this reason, all Hebrews are considered natural descendants of Abraham, and all Christ followers are considered spiritual descendants. He is often referred to as the father of faith, and Christ followers of all generations are called children of Abraham. So, he is very important. In fact, his story, I want you to make sure you get this, so I have it on your outline, and it'll be on the screen behind me. The Abraham story that we're going to look at in Genesis is a picture of both conversion and calling. It's a picture of conversion and calling. His story has implications for both Unbelievers and believers, new believers and old believers. As soon you will see here, Abraham models saving faith when it comes to uh, be, when he becomes a believer in Genesis chapter twelve. He does so by leaving his old life to follow the Lord in a new life. But he's also a model of living faith because he demonstrates an unconditional obedience to the Lord that every believer should demonstrate as well. 
And for all these things that I've just mentioned here, Abraham is considered a prototype of how to live by faith. So let's turn back to the book of Genesis and see what made Abraham so special. Genesis chapter 11, I'll start there. I'm going to read some verses at the end of chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and if you would look at verse 20, verses 27 to 32, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Verse 28, Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcal, the daughter of Haran, the, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son's excuse me, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But they came to Haran, and they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah lived in Haran. Excuse me, he died in Haran. Okay, it's important to read these verses to get a little context on Genesis 12, where we pick up on the, on the Abraham story. Uh, these verses can be a little confusing because of the multiple names. They're not names we're familiar with. And, but, but I'm going to try my best to simplify things for us. Uh, I've got a slide that kind of shows the family tree here. Uh, here's the most important names to know. Terah was the, the father of the family. He had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Uh, these are the main characters, and we really just need to know Abraham's wife was Sarah. If you see that little engagement ring there, isn't that a cool little graphic? So, um, unfortunately, though, Sarah was not able to have children. Now, here's where it gets a little confusing. Haran was not only the name of one of Terah's sons, which would be Abraham's brother, it's also the name of a city. And so that's where it gets a little confusing, all right? Now, here's a, here's a map I've created to try and help you understand. And for those of you that are listening online, uh, basically the journey from Ur of the Chaldeans to the Promised Land is sort of like a triangle. It required going from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is the capital city of Sumer in what is now modern-day Iraq. It's on the southern end of the Euphrates River, down by the Persian Gulf. Uh, you would have to travel 600 miles northwest to Haran, and then make a left-hand turn, and go about another 500 miles southwest to Canaan. Haran is a, Haran, excuse me, is a city 600 miles to the northwest, and it's in modern-day Turkey. Now, we know from other historical documents that both cities worshipped, both Ur and Haran, they worshipped the god of the moon. And so they were pagan cities that did not worship the Lord. 
We also know from other scripture texts that Abraham's family, especially his father, took part in this idol worship. And so Abraham was not a, not a believer in Genesis chapter 11. Now chapter 12 is a pivotal point in the book of Genesis because after the fall in chapter 3, sin spread like wildfire throughout the world. It got so bad, you might remember, that the Lord decided to start all over again with Noah. We learned about that uh, last week. And so he sends a flood in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. He uses Noah to start all over again. Wipes out everything else on the earth. Well, despite Noah's godliness, his descendants rebelled against the Lord and decided to build the ultimate symbol of pride in chapter 11 of Genesis. You probably see a subtitle there. It says the Tower of Babel. In essence, Noah's descendants decided they wanted to try and build the tallest tower that would reach to the heavens so they could get to God. So the Lord sees this, and of course he's deeply offended, and decides, well, if I can't get the world to walk with me, then I'll build a nation that will. And so that's how the people of Israel come about. And so, let's see how he did it. Look at your Bibles again in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's the first thing that we learn about Abraham. Number one on your outline is that Abraham obeyed without knowing where he was going. He obeyed without knowing where he was going. Notice in verse 1, the Lord says, I want you to leave your country, which is Ur of the Chaldeans, your kindred, your family, and your father's house. This is a huge ask. Because the Lord was asking Abraham to leave the comfort of his homeland, where he grew up, the camaraderie of his family, and the proximity of his father, which back then was the strongest family bond that a child would have in the ancient Near East. Not only that, Abraham was, uh, he also had a home, he was wealthy, he had lots of livestock, he had paid staff, and was well, well respected in his community. So he was well off, doing great. Well, why did the Lord call him? Well, here's A, B, and C, I wanted to break this down to make it simple and make it applicable to us. A is the Lord wanted to use him. The Lord wanted to use him. He says, I will make you a great nation. And we know from chapter 11, verse 30, that Abraham and Sarah had no children. And we know from uh, chapter 12, verse 4, that Abe was 75 years old. So he was eligible for Social Security. He's... He's, uh, well, obviously, what must have been running through Abraham's mind is, uh, uh, Lord, you know, uh, I know you said you're going to build a nation with me, but I have no children, 
And Sarah and I, we're, we're too old to be trying to have children. But okay, we'll see how you're going to do this. So despite this, the Lord wanted to use this gray-haired couple to build a nation that would love the Lord and worship him. And so the Lord saved Abraham for a purpose. You know, he does the same for Christ followers today. He saves us for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says the Lord has good works he's prepared in advance for us to do that will make an impact for him. So the first reason the Lord saved Abraham and called him was to use him. Next, letter B, he also wanted to bless him. He wanted to bless him. The Lord says in verse 2, I will bless you and make your name great. See, before choosing to walk with the Lord, Abraham would have been just like thousands of men before him that had basically lived and died and made no impact on the world, lived a self-centered life, and then returned to dust. But after choosing to follow the Lord, God blessed Abraham with children and a spiritual legacy that's still being talked about today. Ephesians 1.3 says the same about Christ followers who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. They've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we know from New Testament texts that this includes eternal life, forgiveness, peace with the Lord, access to him in prayer, the indwelling Holy Spirit, spiritual protection, spiritual gifts, spiritual power, and much more. The Lord also makes the names of believers great by enabling them to leave a spiritual heritage after they pass on to eternity. This means that children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of believers will talk about the faith of, well, your faith and my faith, and they will make an impact on their generations for Christ and be a light in the darkness and share the gospel. So the Lord wanted to use Abraham, he wanted to bless him, and then let her see, he also wanted to make him a blessing. He wanted to make him a blessing. He says in verse 2, you will be a blessing. The Lord used Abraham to birth a nation that would become God's chosen people with exclusive privileges, promises, and protections. Every Israelite born in the centuries that followed, has Abraham to thank for those blessings. The Lord also used Abraham to pave the way for a Savior who would make it possible for Gentiles like us to also have a relationship with the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Believers have been called to be a blessing in the world. Well, how? Well, by, sh by sharing that Christ died for sinners and desires a personal relationship with them, by, by being a light in the darkness, by showing the world there's a better way to live, and so on and so on and so on. So as you can see, at first glance, it appears Abraham would be giving up so much to follow the Lord. But in reality, he was gaining so much more. The Lord graciously chose an idolater and exponentially multiplied his life. These promises end up forming the foundation for a landmark covenant God would establish with Abraham. 
in chapter 15, and then in chapter 17, the Lord ratifies it with him. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight uh, with our Bibles, so we kind of know the rest of the story, but for Abraham, what God was promising was so out of this world that had never been done before uh, that he couldn't see it. And so look at uh, Genesis 12, verse 4. It says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions. that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Well, here's number two in your outline. Abraham obeyed without knowing why God called him. He obeyed without knowing why God called him. It says in verse four that he departed from Haran. Now, there's some disagreement amongst commentators as to the sequence of events that take place with Abraham's call. Uh, I struggled with whether I should mention this or not, and I was caught in between kind of a rock and a hard place. And well, if I don't mention it, some of you, being as detail-oriented as you are, will notice it. And if I do mention it, some of you are gonna go, well, I wish you hadn't mentioned it. So, by faith, I'm gonna try and explain this. So notice in chapter 11, verse 31, it says that Abraham, his father, and some family members left Ur to head to Canaan, which is the land that would be promised to him. But chronologically, he had not received his call yet. See, that didn't come until chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. However, in Genesis 15, 7, you don't have to turn there, just take my word for it. The Lord says he brought Abraham up out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And yet, if you look at Genesis 12, 4, it says that Abraham departed from Haran. So what gives? Well, I spent a long time last night looking up several commentators and reading and trying to understand what they thought, and to be honest with you, they can't agree either. They all have their different ideas. So, some of you might be thinking, well, this wasn't bothering me until you brought it up, Pastor. Now I think it is kind of bugging me. Why is that out of sequence there? You know, it doesn't really make sense. Kind of wish you hadn't have mentioned it. Well, this is one of a few textual issues that comes up in the Bible. The Bible's still reliable, but there are little issues that come up, and here's what I think. I think chapter 12, verses one through three, where Abraham got his call, I think it's supposed to be inserted before verse 31 of chapter 11. Thus, Abraham was called, took his father with him for the first leg of the journey, you remember the map, up to Haran. And then for reasons we don't know, they stopped in Haran, which is Turkey now, and Terah died there. And then, I think we're supposed to pick up with chapter 12, verse four, where 
Abraham resumed his journey, leaving from Haran. But don't quote me on that. Again, I'm just trying to understand what I think maybe was supposed to happen, but the bottom line is this. Abraham might have went out not knowing where he was going, but he knew who was going to be with him. That's the most important point. And that was enough for Abraham. Now, unlike Abraham's, most of us make common excuses before we obey the Lord. Here's a few that I thought of, the most common ones that I've gotten good at using and I've heard others use too. Uh, so here's A, B, and C, common excuses we make for, uh, before obeying the Lord. First of all, A, it has to make sense to me. It has to make sense. So, so when the Lord calls or tells us to do something, and it's not something that's obvious to us, or maybe we don't want to do it, we'll tell him, well, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do this? Why would he not do that? When we lay down this condition, we're either elevating our own logic to be on par with God's, or, depending on how you look at it, we're lowering his logic down to our level. Either way, it's pride because we're assuming that our finite minds are capable of understanding the infinite mind of the Lord and his logic. In fact, I sometimes think the Lord doesn't make sense of things for us because it would probably just blow all the synapses, like just short-circuit our brains. We couldn't handle it. That's just a theory of mine, though. This is why I think the Lord, though, told the people of Israel in Isaiah 55, and you know this verse, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm reminded of something that the author uh, Philip Yancey once said about this, and you've heard me use this quote before. Uh, Yancey wrote, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. There are just things that we will not understand in the present that it won't be until days, months, maybe years later that we're able to look back and understand what the Lord was doing at the time. It may not be until we're with the Lord that we're able to do that. So, we sometimes make the excuse that it has to make sense to me. Here's another common excuse, letter B. It has to be visible to me. Uh, we, we put this condition on our obedience when we're telling the Lord we'd rather walk by sight and not by faith. Uh, similar to letter A, we're requiring God to show us his plans before we commit to them. And basically it's another way of saying, okay, Lord, if I approve of it, then I'll do it. But living faith enables us to obey when we cannot see. And then here's a third excuse that um, I know I've used, and you have too, don't lie about it. I have to have peace about it. Now I've gotta say this, and I'm gonna try and say this in love. <sighs> I have peace about it is on my top 10 list of American Christian pet peeves. And here's why. In all my years of studying the scriptures and preaching and teaching the scriptures, I have yet to find anywhere in the Bible uh, 
where emotional calm was validation for God's will. I just can't find it anywhere. More often than not, I have seen Christians use the I have peace about it cliche as an excuse to protect their own comfort, to justify their own sin, or to avoid applying God's word. Nearly all the scripture verses that I can think of or have found that talk about peace are actually commands not to be anxious. And they have nothing to do with discerning God's will. I'm just saying. So it doesn't say here, notice in Genesis 11 and 12, that Abraham had peace. There's no reference to that. And I can't think of any other reference anywhere else in the Bible where the Lord spoke, a character or his people responded with obedience where it says they prayed about it and had peace. I just, I can't find it. I can't think of it anywhere. If you know of something, please show me. I would love to find biblical support for having peace before obeying the Lord. It would make my life easier. So, so enough on that. There's three common excuses. Let's look at chapter 12, verses 6 through 9. So, Abraham's on his journey, and we see in verse 6 that he passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Here's number three, the third thing we can learn about Abraham's faith, and that is that Abraham obeyed without knowing how God would keep his promise. He obeyed without knowing how God would keep his promise. As I was studying this this week, I was just sort of stunned. I was trying to put myself in Abraham's shoes. Imagine, you've traveled, it'd be 600 miles to the north to Haran. Father passes away there. I don't know how long they were in Haran. He resumes his trip and goes, 500 miles southwest to Canaan. He's been told he's going to be given a land for his people and his offspring, which, by the way, he has no kids. Don't forget that. He shows up, and I was just imagining him coming up over the hill and seeing, and the Lord goes, here's the land I'm going to give you, and it's occupied by another country. So like, it wasn't like the wild, wild west, you know, like you've seen in some films where there's this land rush on the great western frontier of the United States where you got stagecoaches or covered wagons, you know, and everybody just goes and sticks out the ground because like Nebraska and South Dakota was just desolate. It wasn't like that. The land that the Lord said he was going to give Abraham, there's a whole other country living there. And so just imagine what Abraham must have been thinking. Uh... I have no children, I have no army, and I have no idea how God's going to do this. 
So notice what Abraham does. He sets up an altar. It means he worshiped. He sets up an altar and he worships the Lord. He moves a little further, sets up an altar and worships again. There's no indicator that he wavered. But have you noticed this? Have you noticed how worship strengthens your faith? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I know on days when I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord or discouraged, I have found it makes a big difference in my mood if I just start playing some worship music and just getting the melodic hooks in my head with scriptural lyrics. World of difference. Maybe that's what Abraham was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, you know, I'm going to worship the Lord because I need to recapture that faith that I had when I left in uh, verse 4. Because now I'm looking at the land of Canaan and there's all these Canaanites running around there. And I don't know how I'm going to get rid of these people. And the Lord hasn't told me. But he says, this is going to be my land. But what Abraham models here is the biblical definition of faith that I've been having you learn with me in this series. And let's review it, the biblical definition of faith. It's on your outline. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. It's believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. So, so uh, Pastor Kerry, are you saying faith is believing when everything else appears to be going the opposite direction of what God said? Yep. So, so are you saying, Pastor Kerry, that it's acting upon God's word when it doesn't make sense and I can't see what he's doing and I don't have peace about it? Because living faith enables us to obey when we cannot see. Well, let's talk about two applications here as we, as we close. I think the first that comes to mind is for unbelievers, for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross and was resurrected three days later so that anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in him alone for their salvation, they can have a personal relationship with him. Those who do so receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness and peace and many more blessings, as I mentioned earlier. Just like Abraham, the Lord wants to use you to make an impact in this world. He wants to bless you and he wants to make you a blessing to others. But in order for that to happen, you need to have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. You have to leave the old life behind and start a new life with Christ. And he'll do what I just talked about. He'll bless you. He'll make you a blessing. And you'll make a difference in this world. Secondly, there's an application for believers 
I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to run out the door really fast before you start shooting me, okay? Always choose obedience over comfort. It's hard. But one of the things I know I don't want to have happen when I stand before the Lord someday is for him to say, you know, Carrie, here's all that I wanted to do in your life, but because of the amount of faith you had, here's all I could do. Because you lacked faith. Abraham's story reminds me, and I want to remind you, that there will be times in your walk with God when you need to move out, you need to take action, and you need to do it first in order to find out where you're going. So he's not going to show you or tell you until you step out in faith. There will also be times in your walk with the Lord when you need to move knowing where you are going without knowing what you're getting into. It could be a job transfer. It could be a, a change, some change in your life. Still, there'll be other times where you know where you're going despite what you're getting into, and you'll still have to trust the Lord. All these options require faith. But just like Abraham, the Lord wants to use you to make an impact in this world. He wants to bless you, and he wants you to be a blessing to others. However, you have to be willing to leave your comfort behind, just like Abraham did. But it's worth it. Did you know that every person in the scriptures that God used had to leave their comfort zone? And so I ask you this question. What is the Lord calling you to do that will require faith and obedience? What's he calling you to do? What's he been telling you to do? I want to urge you to do it. Well, once upon a time, there was a teenage girl named Dorothy. After a tornado upset her life and turned it upside down, she woke up in a confusing place she'd never seen before with a major problem. She didn't know how to get back home. Somebody told Dorothy that if she could find the Wizard of Oz, he could tell her how to get back home. So she began her journey down the yellow brick road. Along the way, she met some people who were just as lost and messed up as she is. So Dorothy told them about this wizard who helps people and invited them to join her on her journey. Of course, you might remember there was Scarecrow who needed a brain, the Tin Man who needed a heart, and the Lion who needed courage. Dorothy and her new friends encountered all sorts of obstacles on their journey, including flying monkeys and an old wicked witch. After a long, harrowing journey, Dorothy and her friends finally reach Oz, where she discovers something she never expected. She was already home. All she had to do was click her heels together three times and say, there's no place like home. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, that we read earlier, it says that Abraham's living faith enabled him to look forward to the city 
that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. It's a reference to heaven. Whenever you can't see the road the Lord is leading you down, just keep walking and remind yourself there's no place like home. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Father, would you help us with our finite minds to understand how living faith enables us to obey even when we cannot see? Would you help us, Lord, to make the difficult decision to leave comfort and to choose you, to choose pleasing you, whenever your call and our comfort collide. Lord, I wanna pray for those right now who may be sensing the tug of your spirit or perhaps your word is telling them to do something or to stop doing something. Lord, please, would you help them by your grace and by your spirit to obey. Would you help them, Lord, to exercise faith, to trust you that obedience is better than disobedience. Lord, we thank you for Abraham and the example that he set for us. We want to be known as a church that has great faith, and we want to see you do great things through our church because of our faith in you. We know, Lord, and we've already learned in this series that you reward faith, that you commend it, and we want to be that kind of church. So, Lord, thank you that you are dependable. We thank you, Lord, that you always want to do more in our lives than what we would choose to do. We thank you, Lord, that through you, we can leave a legacy and make a mark on this world. We ask that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.